If you're visiting today, I'm not sure, I don't know, this could either be a really good day to have visited or not, so I'll let you decide, but we're, as a church family, have uh, recently kind of gone through some um, upheaval and some tragedy, and uh, I, I hope I can bring you up to speed as much uh, without rehashing it all, but last, uh, last Sunday... You all were here. I was on a flight out of Kathmandu trying to get back to here as quickly as possible. I was, uh, the week before that, we had actually been in Bretnagar, uh, Nepal, right on the border of India, like a mile from India, a very persecuted part of the world. Uh, we had spent the week teaching the book of Revelation because that's what they wanted. If you're persecuted, you read Revelation way different than you do if you're Jack Van Impey. Um, sorry, this was a skew reference. Um, We built this church and we left these people behind and we went to the Himalayas because I have, uh, I'm not 50, but I can see it from here. I thought it'd be, uh, we're already there. Let's hike to base camp. And so we began our hike that day with David Christopher and myself. I uh, went to bed and by 4 a.m. Nepal time, uh, it was afternoon, your time, we got the phone call that had changed David and Jaina and Lydia's life forever. Because their baby girl, Becca, had passed 18 years old. Um, unexpected, of course. And so we began to find our way home, which wasn't uh, the easiest thing we've done. Um, what I realized at that time, though, was that we, would, uh, we went there to hike a mountain. It just wasn't the one that I thought. We were going to be hiking a different one. Uh, and as I flew out of uh, a helicopter out of the Himalayas to try to get us back to Kathmandu. We were looking down over those mountains and thinking, I'll be back someday. But for this day, we're flying over the mountains we had been hiking beneath and, and realized that the journey, I guess, is somewhat analogous to the journey that we're all on. We're literally going through this life of the ups and the downs, the mountains and the valleys, and we're all in it together. And the passage that the Lord brought to my heart. I mean, look, I, I've, I have not been looking forward to this morning. Um, I felt like this would have been a good day for the real pastor to show up. Like this would have been a good one for the professionals to come in. And, uh, but yet I just knew that the Lord, for whatever reason, that this is who, who I am and where we are. And the, and the passage that I was finding some interest and some solace and it was Proverbs 18, 14, that the human spirit can endure a, a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? The word spirit uh, in the Old Testament is the word ruach. It just simply means wind, energy, like it's the power, the, but when it's referred to in the inside of a, of a human, it's, uh, it's roughly analogous to passion for life, for desire. Like the Ruach, your spirit is your desire uh, to, to life, your desire to live, your desire to press on and to be here. So a crushed spirit, what he's referring to here, would simply mean your spirit has been crushed to the point where you're looking out and it's just hard to want to live at all. There's different variations of this. Like crushed spirit could mean you know, you're listless or that you're sad or that you're, but it also can mean despondency and it can mean, you know, what happened. Becca didn't commit anything. She died of a crushed spirit. 
And as I was uh, coming back and we got here, I think we decided it was Monday, um, upside down and you know the Lord was uh, working in us. And, and then on Wednesday, many of us in the community um, know Toby and Amanda and saw the news come of what had happened with Truett, who we all kind of grew up with around here. And, and my phone started just blowing up. Oh no, oh no, what, what's happening here? What's, what's going on? And it's not maybe a coincidence, I don't know, but it was also this week that new um, statistics were released. And so everywhere from Rolling Stone to Washington Post to the New York Times was reporting that new research has come out and that the uh, number, I think number two killer of teenagers, listen, I say teenagers very loosely, children between 10 and 14 years old is suicide. Now, in the last five years, that number grew by 30%. Not only by 30%, but in the last one, two years, it's accelerating. There is a crisis in our country. These aren't statistics. These are our friends. These are our children. And something in America is crushing our spirits. Not just crushing the spirits of children, understand. Crushing the spirits of of middle-aged white men in rural America, okay? That number has skyrocketed as well. Like, it is across the board. Something is happening in Western culture that is crushing the spirits of the residents that live here. And as I was reading these articles, there were all these different ideas, of course. You know, if we just take guns out of the home, then that'll fix it. If we just, uh, you, uh, no more screen time on social media, that'll fix it. If we, uh, and everything I'm reading, everybody had their strong opinion, and it all felt so simplistic. It all felt so reductionistic. It all felt so, it's not going to fix the problem, because we're trying to, it's, it's like whack-a-mole. If I get this one, then this one pops up, but... But if you're a secular humanist and you're trying to grasp for anything, you're trying to figure out causations, but the fact of the matter is, and I did appreciate this in the New York Times article, they had to admit that nobody knows what's happening. There was some blame on this Netflix TV show, 13 Reasons, and I have to say that I think shame on Netflix. I think maybe it would be time to cancel our Netflix accounts. Like just say to them that that is unfreaking acceptable to put that out and glamorize it to a population of teenagers. That's my political moment. But what I know is this. This, in our culture, is roughly the same when you start reading statistics about clean water in developing nations. Number one killer of children in Uganda would be lack of clean water, lack of sanitation. There, you go to the lack of medical care, lack of. But in our culture, if the number one or the number two killer of, of this is a crushed spirit, this is the clean water issue of our culture. We, we can't, we don't need to drill water wells here because there's water everywhere, but we need to be drilling living water wells. Now, what that looks like, I don't know yet, but I know this, I'm angry enough about this that we will figure it out. We will not sit here idly by while Satan is killing our children. Amen. And I want to be 
extraordinarily careful because nothing that I am saying this morning should be construed, ought to be construed as if David and Jaina had done something different like this, then Becca would still be with us. That is not fair. It is not true. It is a lie from the pit of hell. We live in a war zone. And you know what happens in war zone? Collateral damage. Right now in what's happening in northern Syria, there are children who have been killed because of war, but it's not because they have good parents or bad parents. It's because they're in a war zone. You understand? We as parents, there are things that we can do to help our children and love, but at the end of the day, we live in a fallen world and there is a war going on for the souls of our children. And I believe it is time as a church, not just in Conduit, but in America, to circle the wagons. And I thought about that for us. What does that mean for us just here? The Bible, as you might guess, or maybe you wouldn't, but it's true, speaks to this issue Crushed spirit, we would use the language mental health in America, but it's the same thing. The Bible is speaking of that, calling it a crushed spirit. And Proverbs tells us that above all else, uh, chapter four, verse 23, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Of everything else you're doing out there to to make sure that your your kids have gotten what they need, to make sure they've got the right schools, to make sure they've got the next, you know, Nintendo, that my my son is yearning. I think yearning would be the right word for the new iPhone, okay? Newsflash, he ain't getting it. But, But he's yearning for these things. But how much are we putting into it, the energy? Are we, is, is it possible that as a parent that one of the things that we could add to our repertoire as parents is to make sure that we were pouring grace into our children with the same passion and energy that we're pouring into their physical needs? I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the solution. I'm saying that there is something we can start doing there that I think will help because religion will kill them, but grace will save them. When Paul... Prayed. So I just got back from this Bratnagar, and these are a very persecuted people that we just spent a week with. Um, and man, they love Jesus. And they're begging for us to come back, begging. And my proclivity would be to pray for them for the persecution to stop, for the communists to go away, to, to, to stop all that. That's my proclivity. But Paul, when he would pray for the churches in Ephesus, the churches at Colossae, the churches that were in intense persecution, he never once prayed, Lord, remove these magistrates from power. Lord, make Jerusalem great again. He didn't pray any of that. He prayed, Ephesians 3, verse 16, I pray that out of, this, out of his glorious riches, he may, listen, strengthen you with power through his spirit in where your innermost being. Because a sick body can be, you can withstand it with a strong spirit inside, a strong you know, vervency to live. So for Paul to say, whether or not the magistrates are going to be gone, whether it's Nero or whatever nut job you've got in office, that you can survive because it's not about what's out there, it's about what's in here. Above all else, guard your hearts because out of that flows everything you do. I drive a uh, 2004 uh, it's, I guess it's what's left of our music business empire, my uh, old Lexus GX470. It's a Toyota with makeup at the end of the day, but it, it just won't die. But on any given day, I got lights coming on for something. Check this, check that. And eventually, you're like, I'm just done checking stuff. Because you know how it is. Everything is Phil in here, the guys from Cody's. Sorry. It's got, every time you go to check it, it's like 500 bucks. 
So I'm like, you know what, I'll just drive it, and if it stops, then I know it didn't work. So <laughs> you can do that with your car, but with your heart, you're playing a deadly game. The check engine light of your heart. If it's coming on, what are you going to do about it? Now, that said, the simplicity of a reductionistic, humanistic thing would say, you got to do this. And this one would say, well, we got to do therapy. And this one says, you got to do medication. And this one says, and you know what the Bible says? The Bible has the most nuanced approach to this of any book in history. Because number one, it does say that a crushed spirit can be caused by physiological issues. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but passion rots the bones. And I'm not nearly enough of a, uh, of a Hebrew expert to explain this, but what I'm reading in the commentators on it is it's actually the substance of who you are. There's, it's actually like a heat and envy is one of the words that's translated at, but inside of you, the, if that heart is, is in a bad place, it can cause sickness in your body. And if you've ever struggled with things like inflammation or whatever, you know that. Like You know that that can happen. But also know this, that there are physiological things that some people are even born with, the chemicals that are firing in different places in wrong ways, that that can cause the same thing. If I'm so glad we're at a time where medication, we're going to get help, is not held off and, and looked at in a down way as it used to be where I was when we were growing up. Because sometimes, I mean, look, you guys were here, maybe some of you were here when I prayed about having panic attacks a few weeks ago. I was like, you know, and I went to a doctor that week and, and I was just telling him like, but doc, look, this is just so stupid. Like, I know it's all in my head. He's like, of course it's in your head. That's where it's coming from. But he explained to me that, look, the part of your head that's firing off those chemicals is not the logical part. So you trying to talk yourself out of it, that ship has sailed. Like, have a logical conversation with cancer. Like, it ain't listening to you. So a medication that can help you to get over that bump is not a bad thing. It's not a failure, right? And on the other hand, like, again, complex issues here. It can also include not just medication, but emotional, right? And everybody's like, well, duh, that's a... But listen to me. Look, at what the, look how nuanced the Bible is about this. Proverbs 2, or 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers up. Heaviness of the heart weighs you, it's like the, the anxiety weighs down, it crushes, it depresses, it suppresses your heart. And how does that work? See, when you have, when you're born, you're born with a desire. You're born a needy. You're born to desire. And what did we just say the spirit was? Your power and your desire. And when you suppress that down, um, Chip Dodd, who I've spent a lot of time uh, letting him ring me out like a chamois, and I'll tell you, that was a lot of fun, um, says that desire and anger are the same thing. He would say that anger is the energy in motion that expresses what matters to us. Energy, I'm sorry, anger is the energy in motion that expresses what matters to us. Now that confused me, because what do you think of when you think of anger? Rage, right? Flying off the handle, screaming and insulting. And, but that's not anger, that's fear. That is terror. I don't want you to hurt me the way that I've been hurt, and so I'm going to hurt you first. So what I was thinking of as anger isn't anger at all, it's terror. Anger is passion. 
In fact, Jeff uh, Schulte, who is another guy that just rung me out. I have really been through the ringer a lot with these guys over the last few years. But Jeff said to me in a session, he said, Darren, you know, you're the most angry person I've ever met. And I'm thinking, I'm the nicest guy I know. <laughs> very humble, but I'm also very nice. But he said, man, you don't start a church like you started unless you're angry. You don't give away millions of dollars of money that you could be putting cup holders in a better screen and everything unless you're angry about something. And I was like, oh, anger, it's passion. It moves me forward to something. Inside of us, when we're born as a desire, it's an anger to do, to be who God has created us to be. And some point along the line, multiple some points probably, you expressed that desire and you were rejected. You expressed that desire and you were mocked. And so what do you do? You're afraid now. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm, so what do I do? I'm depressing that anger, that desire. And by the way, that is what we call a midlife crisis. Because you can push the beach ball down into the water, but Archimedes' principle means it's coming back up. And it's either going to look like a sports car or your secretary or some other really dumb decision, but it's coming back up one way or the other. And what does he say here? That that anxiety weighs down the heart when you have depressed that. Depression is not sadness. It's repressed anger. You have repressed your desires to the point now where you no longer, your spirit is crushed. Oh, but it says that a kind word cheers it up. And that is, feels a little oversimplified, but it's not. It just means that we need community. We need to be in places where it is safe to say, it's safe for me to say to you this morning, I'm afraid to do this today. I, I am not qualified to stand here and do sit, sit here, do what I'm doing. I'm afraid. To be able to do that and feel safe, that's the community that we need with each other. To sit in circles and to say I'm afraid, that I'm angry, that I'm sad, that I'm joyful, and to not be judged with it, to give those desires an expression and to know and to risk it. Because what happens if we don't, we crush it down and then we do anything we can to repress it and to not feel it. And that, by the way, is what is called addiction. Anything that I can do to not feel that, I don't want to feel that pain, so I'm going to weigh that down. But in a group, that's why, I mean, look, have you ever been around anybody, been in AA meetings? Maybe some of y'all are in AA or NA or the one, uh, there's a lot. I'll hear all the time, that feels more like church than this does. And what they're really saying is that I have been known and you didn't leave. I have confessed and you didn't go anywhere. The kind word cheers us up. And by the way, this week in this church family, I, I've, I can't even begin to express, I w I'm not even remotely articulate enough to say how proud I am of you guys. I mean, I'm on a plane to Doha last week. We are just, uh, literally, we're, if, if we can just get one foot in front of the other, I'm going to be happy. But back home, David Shindell, James Boyd, Mo Tiemann stood up here on this stage and handled this news with as much poise and grace and Holy Spirit as anyone. I couldn't have done that good of a job. That I'm away with the one and the 99 were just fine. 
And not just that, but then this week, Joel and Michaela, our little 24, 25, 23, 20 somethings, youth people. I mean, this is the deep end of the pool, y'all. This is not what they signed up for. But man, they opened their homes for our young people to process and to grieve together and to ask questions and to love. James and Becca went into the trenches with David and Jaina all week long, spent hours and nights. And by the way, many of you did, by the way, so I don't want to forget anybody, but we're in the trenches with them all week. My wife has been working like a rented mule today, like just trying to, because at some point today, we're going to have to turn this place into a place where we think four or 500 people are going to be here today. So if you want to be in the sanctuary for this, I would suggest you be here by three o'clock today. We're going to do our best to get 300 people in here, and then we have a room for 100 in the family room, 50 in the basement, and then we're just going to put speakers on the front lawn. David and Jaina just felt this felt important to them because this is their home, and this was more for them than for our comfort, and I hope you understand that. But Shannon's been working setting that up, and Mo, dear God, man, I'm so proud of you. Uh, This is not what you signed up for either, and you've led well this week. And not just that, but look, y'all have been, I'm watching, you taking food to the people. James and Becca, their kids got rides. I, somebody brought us a dinner last night that almost, I almost prayed in tongues. It was so good. <laughs> I watched Joel and Michaela's you know, refrigerator being filled up with groceries and you guys reaching out and bolstering and texting and you're this. You're, you guys love well. I can't imagine. I wouldn't want to be in any other church. If I didn't pastor this church, I would go to this church because you all are radical. Here's how radical you are. This is going to sound so stupid, but it's true. They tell you in the church world that if you don't receive the offering every Sunday, right, that you just lost that week. You've lost the revenue for that week. But how do you take up an offering on a day when a little girl has died? You don't. You just don't. But somehow, you all went online, figured out ways, and we had one of the biggest giving weeks in the history of the church. Who does that? You guys. And by the way, we're not doing an offering today. Same thing. I just, just feel so shallow and hollow on a day like today. I'm just really proud because a kind word cheers up. You've bolstered us this week. And I want to give you a really practical tip for something that I think will help you today. Because at four o'clock, those of you that know David and Jaina, some of you are going to see them for the first time this week. And can I help you? Um, Most of you already know this. This is more for second service. So for you all know this. But I want to help us to not say something stupid. Uh, when, When you've experienced trauma, when someone has experienced trauma, have you heard about the rings theory? Some of you have been maybe in counseling, know about rings. Here's what the rings are, and I apologize because that looked a lot better on my computer than it does there. Um, I guess I'll have to put that in the Facebook group so you can see it. When you've got a trauma, here's the the rings. Someone has experienced trauma. In this case, it's David and Jaina, okay? They go in the middle. They're in the circle in the middle. They're the ones that have the trauma. The next ring out is who is the closest family and sometimes friends that are in that circle. Who are going to be surrounded? In their case this week, it's been James and Becca. It's been Shane Tucker. There's been beautiful people in that circle with them. And then the next circle out is, okay, these are like your friends from maybe small group or your friends in the neighborhood and that group. And then you get another circle out. Maybe those are your coworkers or your church family. And you, the circles go out until you're out of people. 
Now here's why this is, I swear I turned that off. Here's why this is important. In the middle of the circle, the middle of it, the person that has experienced the trauma, this will, you, learning this today, this will help you for the rest of your life. That person gets to say whatever the heck they want. They get to feel whatever it is they feel and say it without judgment. And the next ring out, the people that are around them, your job is to listen and to love. And if you say anything, it's, I love you. Your grief is not too much for me. I'm not going anywhere. What you do not say is, oh, I know, that's exactly what happened when it happened to my aunt or the, none of that. No lectures, you're just there to love. But look, those in that circle, and in our case, James and Becca, right, in that circle, they're gonna need someplace to decompress. But they don't do it to David and Jaina. They go to the next ring of the circle out. And you're going to hear, some of you will hear James and Becca this week. You might need to process. Your job isn't to lecture James and Becca. Your job is to listen and to love. I'm going to put it more simply. Comfort into the middle of the circle, dump out of the circle. Does that make sense? So today, we're actually, we're bringing the circles together. Let's not overwhelm David and Jaina and Lydia. Let's not say things like, oh, I know how you feel Let's for sure not say, God just needed another angel. No, but of course, that was second service. Third service would never say that. I'm not talking to you. Other people. Our job today is to let this be their day. Maybe give them some space. Give them, uh, we're going to have a little dinner here afterwards. They want it. It's just classic David and Jaina. They just wanted a meal. They didn't want to be rushed. They just want to spend time with their friends. And the trouble is, is they got more friends than they have time. So you may not even get to them today. And that's okay. Because you know what? Tuesday's coming. And so is Thursday. And so is November. There's plenty of time to continue to love that family. So a, a kind word cheers up. That's what we need in a church family. So the Bible's telling us it could be a physiological problem. It could be an emotional thing, right? It could be relational. It could also be third, a moral aspect. Christians, we love this one, right? The, uh, the wicked flee when uh, the, no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That just simply means that if you've been around people, maybe you are one of these people where you've just continued to make bad decisions and bad choices and what you're doing is, and maybe someone has said it to you, man, what are you running from? What, what is it you're running from? And what you're running from is the guilt and the shame. And instead of feeling it, I'd rather do anything but to feel this, so I'm gonna do anything else but that. And by the way, that's what addictions come from. Anything, whether it's scrolling social media, whether it's burning down a fat one, or whether it's alcohol or drugs, if it's to numb that pain, anything, I'll do anything to not feel that. And it keeps you running. But the righteous are as bold as a lion, and if you're in Christ, you are righteous. And you don't have to run anymore for that guilt or that shame. You don't have to be afraid of it. And the fourth thing, existential. I want to rush this, but I don't want to rush it because in our community, I think this one is important as anything. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. And what that means is every moment of joy that you have in your life comes with sadness because eventually that is going to end. Eventually, it'll be over. To, to put it differently, I sat around a table with my family last night. You know, we have kids are out. It's hard, you know, they're not always home a lot. And 
But at that table, at the Tyler table, there's going to be somebody sitting at that table that will be the last one alive, the last one to bury the last one of us. Everything we have ends. And you're like, Darren, that, why would you do that? How nihilistic is that? But it's true, and the existential angst that that brings, that laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains because we live in a fallen world. And here's why this is important for us. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers, there's a chapter devoted specifically to this problem, the crushed spirit. And he says something that was really interesting to me. The highest rate of suicide in a, a specific part of a career path is in the creative field. Did you know that? And if you think about it, you do know that, right? Heath Ledger, Robin Williams, do I, I mean, I could go on. And by the way, inside of that, when you start about playwrights and photographers, the number one by five times as many, poets. And you know why that is? Because they can't ignore that pain. They can't ignore that angst. They understand that that is the truth. A lot of times that's where the beauty of their work and their art comes from because they're letting themselves feel that pain, but it can overwhelm them and crush their spirit. And that's why five times as many poets as any other creative end up committing suicide because they lost hope with it. Their spirit was crushed. And the fact of the matter is, is that existential angst, whether I want to ignore it or not, is a true thing. And especially if you're an atheist and if you're an agnostic, can I say to you this morning, at least have the courage to admit that your work here doesn't matter. Without something outside of here, it won't matter because everything's going to burn. Everything's going to go. Even if you don't believe in the apocalypse, whatever, that star one day is going to burn, this whole earth and everything that ever happened in history is all going to be gone, right? That's a pretty big bummer unless there's something outside of this that can give us hope, right? Existential angst. And then the last one, and by the way, there's more than this, but for the time we have, and I, and I wrote it as faith, but uh, Proverbs 15.3 says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirits heartache when you've put your hope in something. And I'm talking your ultimate hope in a relationship, in a career, in a, anything that is not Jesus that I put that ultimate hope and desire in, it can't withstand the weight of it. And it crushes your spirit. You could have two things happen there. One is you could go your whole life and you never get it. You never get what you wanted. Or worse, you actually got everything you wanted and then you realize you were still you. After all of that, heartache crushes the spirit. So Darren, what do we do about this? Uh, the, the, so do we, you're saying, Darren, the, the Bible's very clear that this is a very complex issue. This goes across multiple, physiological, emotional, moral, all these aspects. What do we do? What is the hope for my crushed spirit this morning? Mamas and daddies for your boys, your little boys, your little girls, teenagers in here, if you're dealing with a crushed spirit, if you have been sleeping, could you wake up? You can go right back to sleep. But if you don't hear this, it'll really, I think this is one of the most important things maybe I'll ever say. He says here that a hope deferred, Proverbs 13, 12, makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now that means, what do you think it means? That the hope that I have, that I want this to happen, my hope for this to happen, when it doesn't happen, it makes my heart sick. And life is full of that 
happening. Something you wanted, somebody you loved, something you desired, and not happening, and it makes your heart sick. But he says here, though, that sometimes every once in a while you get one. And when that happens and you get what you wanted, you desired so much, it's a tree of life. And why would he say tree of life? Isn't that a fascinating choice of words? Tree of life is only mentioned in Genesis and in Revelation. In Genesis, it's mentioned as what was supposed to be for us. That was the way the life, the world was supposed to be in Eden. Revelation 22 speaks of it will be restored. He says, I see a city, and from that city is this river, and on either side is the tree of life. We'll have it again. But not now, not yet. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but the longing is a tree of life. A commentator says this, that the tree of life image in the Bible, it's not simply referring to eternal life. It is, but that's not just it. It also is an image of irretrievable loss, of cosmic nostalgia, a longing for something we remember but we've never had. In all of the music you go to, to give yourself a high, the new Kanye record, you're actually looking for a song that you remember but you've never heard. What you're looking for in love is for arms that you remember but you've never had. It's a cosmic whisper of Eden, a glimpse of glory of how it was meant to be and unless, listen to me, young people, listen, unless you understand that, everything that you're looking for is the tree of life, then that means the object, whatever you've aimed that at here on the side of heaven, will ultimately not withstand the weight and will crush your spirit. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Uh, we probably should have just read this at the beginning and gone home because uh, he's so much more brilliant. But he says this, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And this famous part of the quote right here, he says, if I find myself in myself a desire, listen, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We usually stop reading there, but I want to read on. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, it does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Now, if that is so, I must take care on the one hand, this is important, not to crush your desires, never to be, uh, to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of a copy of an echo or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. David and I stepped off the plane Monday afternoon at 3.30. We were welcomed home by some beautiful souls from our church. We were home, but we weren't home. We're not home yet. The, the hike that we are on continues. 
and that tree of life that we're looking for. We get to eat from that someday again because Jesus would choose a different tree. Do you know that the New Testament refers to the cross as a tree? Do you know that? Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. The Bible refers to the cross as a tree. You see, David and I were gonna be hiking a mountain with a backpack. Jesus was going to hike a mountain with a cross on his back. A mountain called Golgotha. And on his back, he carried a cross, and not just a cross, he carried my sin, the weight of my sin, and not just my sin, but the sin of the whole world. The weight of the world on his shoulders, heavier than the mountain itself. The maker of the mountain would be crucified on that mountain. And because he did, he carried the weight of my sin. He would become Emmanuel, God with us, a God that would hike with us through the valleys and through the mountains. A God that would hike yet another mountain, not just Golgotha, but a mountain called Mount Zion. Revelation 14, verse one, it says, Behold, I saw the lamb on the Mount of Zion. And on that mountain, that's where the tree of life is going to be. That's where we are going, and the only reason we can go there is because of the work that he did on another mountain. And I don't mean to whitewash this. I don't mean to. Look, we have to grieve. Sadness is a gift. Sadness is so important to us that God actually didn't, you know there's not a book of laughing your butt off in the Bible? Like there's not a book titled Hilarity, but there is a book called Lamentations. Because I think God knew that we hated that so much that we'd rush right out of sadness because we don't want to feel it. But that sadness is a gift. It's a gift for Rebecca because it tells her that she mattered to us. But for us, in this day, we're not rushing out of this grief. But we would be fools to not put this in the context. See, when I flew out of that mountain in that helicopter over the mountains that I was supposed to be hiking, I saw something different than I saw from below. I saw mountains for as far as I could see. I saw valleys for as far as I could see. And you know what they were? Breathtaking. Beautiful. For now, they're valleys. For now, it's hard. It's up and down. It's like, I don't know if I can get this next one. But someday, standing on Mount Zion, we'll be looking down on the rest and see that the more mountains, the more valleys we had, the more beauty that there was this side of heaven. Mountains are formed from violence. You understand that. But on the other side, when he wipes away all of our tears, when we're reunited with Rebecca, reunited with Matt, reunited with those, your loved ones, brothers and sisters and moms and dads, we'll be standing on a mountain and looking at that in a way that we've never seen it before. For now, we grieve. For now, we keep hiking every excruciating step forward with Emmanuel, God with us, because one day, because of what he did for us, we'll stand with him on that mountain. That's grace. That's the gift of eternal life. That he would take that so that I don't have to. Wow. Stand to your feet. I want to I pray for you.
hope deferred, right? Our hopes are being deferred right now. Next time you get a longing fulfilled and something happens, I want you to remember that's just a glimpse. Don't put all your weight and your need on that. Know that ultimately it's only going to come on the other side. So that way, especially young people, when you're thinking it's not what I thought it was going to be and I feel sad, it isn't supposed to be what you thought it was going to be. Because it's just a, te- it's a taste. It's, it arouses it. Does this make sense? I hope so. Don't stop taking your medications. Don't stop going to therapy. Don't stop doing the work. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's all of these things together with the power of the Holy Spirit and then take some of the gospel that I've given you today and rub it like a balm of Gilead onto your soul. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Would you be with David and Jaina and Lydia today? This is the hardest day of their lives. I pray that you'll hike with them on this mountain. I know you will. And for those of us that are around that are feeling that same weight and that same sadness, Lord, would you allow the gospel to be rubbed in like a balm of healing on our souls. Lord, would you help us to put the same energy that we might put in keeping our, our houses paid off and getting our car payments and the same energy we do to get our physical comforts, would you, would you help us to use that same energy to allow the gospel, the grace, the goodness of you to sink ever deeper into our souls today? We're so grateful. Thank you so much, Jesus. We grieve, but not as those who don't have hope. It's in your name that we pray.